0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, from chapter 15, verses 12 to 20, and then our sermon passage is John 11, verses 17 to 27. Again, scripture reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 20, and then our sermon passage is John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. This is God Himself speaking to you. Please give your full attention to God's word now as I read it to you this morning. 1 Corinthians 15:12 to 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in, fact, uh, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now turning to John 11, 17-27. Now when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. This ends the reading of God's most holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that by your spirit you would guide us now as your word is preached. We pray that your spirit would help your word to resonate not only in our ears, but in our very souls. We pray that you would encourage us from your word and that you would build us up. But we pray above all else, O Lord, that we would glorify you as the word is preached. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now you are aware of this, brothers and sisters, that pop culture, not not just we who think about being resurrected from the dead, as Paul has talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, as Jesus talked about here in John chapter 11, but our culture at large, perhaps due to the influence of the church on the culture, perhaps, but probably due to other things, pop culture is littered with examples of humanity's desire to live forever. And just one obscure example from my teenage years was this little-known movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And you may remember that in that movie, Indiana Jones was seeking, he was searching for his father, and his father had gone in search for the, the Holy Grail, the, the cup that... Christ used at the Last Supper, and this cup, this grail, it had magical powers, because it must in those series of movies, and anyone who drank from the cup would live forever. Now, we can't just relegate this this obsession with living forever just to pop culture, just to something like the Last Crusade. There are people in this world, very, very wealthy people, the uber-rich Who are doing all that they can to preserve and prolong their lives for as long as possible to the point where they're beginning to augment um, their physical bodies with with computers and and mechanical uh, things to make them stronger and live longer our obsession with avoiding death in this culture it runs deep and massive amounts of money are being spent by those who have the resources to try to prolong their days now we're obligated to do what we can to preserve life, but this obsession with eluding death at all costs, it's taken something that's good, that's right, and it's twisted it, it's, it's perverted it. Society is obsessed with prolonging life because we're afraid of death. And we're afraid because we don't want to face the judge of the living and the dead. But the Bible tells us that there is only one way for human beings to live forever. That is by knowing the one who is forever. Faith in Jesus Christ. This is what I would ask you to consider today. Faith in Jesus Christ, the great I am, takes away our fear of death because he is the one who raises the dead back to life. Again, faith in Jesus the great I Am takes away our fear of death because He is the one who raises the dead back to life. The sermon has three parts. The first part, four days dead. The second, misunderestimation. And the third, greater than expectations. Again, four days dead, that's the first part of the sermon. The second, misunderestimation, mis- And the third, greater than expectations. So let's look at the first part of the sermon, now four days dead. When Jesus got the news about Lazarus, that he was ill, you would have thought that he would have left immediately to go from where he was in the Transjordan region of the Jordan River. Uh, The preceding passage says that he was over where John the Baptist had been baptizing. You would have thought that he would have left immediately to get to this family because they were close friends of his. The passage after ours that we won't be touching uh, this morning in the sermon, that's the passage in which we read about Jesus weeping. He wept over the death of his friend, even though he knew exactly what he was about to do as he made his way to Lazarus' tomb. Where Jesus was in this Transjordan River was about four days' journey from Bethany, where Lazarus and Martha and Mary lived. Jesus remained there for two days and then traveled the four days to get to Bethany. And verse 17 says that when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So Lazarus was in the tomb. He was dead and in the grave by the time that Jesus departed from the Transjordan region to go to Bethany. Now, there was a belief among ancient rabbis, a superstition, we might call it and hence most likely among the local population, that the soul of a deceased person hovered near the body for three days after death, intending to re-enter the body. But after three days, it would depart. And at that point, death was irreversible, according to these folks. Now, Lazarus being dead for four days, in the grave four days, it ruled out any possibility that this superstitious belief of the people of Israel would be credited... uh, Lazarus' coming back would be credited to his soul re-entering the body. He is dead. There can be no mistake. He's not coming back. And verse 39 substantiates what is written in verse 17. In verse 39, Jesus orders that the stone to Lazarus' tomb be taken away, and Martha objects there. And she tells him that, that by, the time, by that time there would be an odor, because he'd been dead for four days. Well, now we begin to understand why Jesus delayed in coming after he'd heard about Lazarus' death. We understand his somewhat cryptic statement in chapter 11, verse 4, that this illness didn't lead to death, but was for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. There could be no possibility of people mistaking why or how Lazarus would emerge from his tomb. It must be undeniable that he came out because Jesus had brought him back to life. And so after four days in the tomb, when Lazarus walked out, which happens a little later, the glory of God the Son would be revealed in a a new and powerful way. Now verse 18 gives the physical proximity of Bethany to Jerusalem. It was about two miles. And verse 19 shows that as a result, many of the Jews had come to Bethany to console Martha and Mary. Now this travel of the Jews from the big city to the small town of Bethany suggests that Lazarus's family was a prominent family, not only in Bethany but in Jerusalem itself. But the presence of these Jerusalemites, these people from Jerusalem, it makes Jesus' appearance at Bethany very risky. The Jewish leadership had wanted to kill him by stoning the last time that he was there. His disciples early in the chapter, they're very nervous when Jesus says he needs to go back to Judea. He needs to go back to the Jerusalem area. Well, word reached Bethany that Jesus was approaching. Martha and Mary might have had someone waiting on the road to see Jesus, and a runner was sent back to tell them that Jesus was on his way. Because verse 20 says that when Martha heard that he was coming, she went and met him. But Mary, we read, remained seated in the house. Martha remained true to her reputation as a woman who got things done. She was a woman of action. She went out to meet Mary, to meet Jesus, rather. But it's interesting that Mary, who in Luke... Ten sat at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching while Martha did all the work. Here in John, stays at home. For Mary to stay and mourn was necessary. She would be there to receive visitors. But it was a great show of respect for Martha to come and meet Jesus rather than waiting for him to come to her and Mary at their home. This takes us to the second point of the sermon, Misunderestimation. If our timeline is correct... It had been about 10 days since Martha and Mary had sent a messenger to find Jesus and tell him about Lazarus' illness. Four days out from Bethany to the Transjordan region, Jesus waits two days, four days for Jesus to travel from the Transjordan region to Bethany. And now finally Jesus has come, but it's too late as far as Martha is concerned. She and Mary and the rest of the family have been in mourning for four days. Their hope was that Jesus would have gotten there before Lazarus Died. Now it is possible to read Martha's words to Jesus in verse 21 as a rebuke. I think that's an uncharitable interpretation of her words there. She says in in verse 21 Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Perhaps she was upbraiding the Lord, but we don't have to read it that way. If we're right that her going out to meet Jesus was a sign of respect, if we're right that she wanted to show Jesus special honor by meeting him on the way rather than waiting for him to arrive at her house, then Martha's words to Jesus, rather than being a rebuke, as D.A. Carson writes, they are words of grief and of faith. She is confident that if Jesus had been present while her brother lay ill, Jesus would have healed him. And I think that's the way that we ought to take her words there, not jump to an uncharitable reading, but to go for the charitable interpretation of what she's saying. Martha, if that is the case, and I believe that it is, she is expressing faith in Jesus. She's expressing faith in what he is capable of doing. But her faith, as we'll see, it has limits. She's still human. She knows enough about the signs and wonders that Jesus has worked to know that he could have prevented her brother from dying. She understands that he's a healer. She's seen what he's been able to do. But now she thinks her brother is irretrievably gone from her. Her understanding of who Jesus is doesn't go far enough. And so she underestimates him. But she does say in verse 23, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, we need to understand, she does not hear, she's not conceiving that Jesus could give the command and Lazarus could rise from the dead. We'll see that later on. Her words in verse 39 indicate that she believes, she knows with conviction that Lazarus is irreversibly dead. Martha knows that there's something special about Jesus. Clearly she loves him, and he loves her and her family, but she misunderstands the true power of Jesus the Christ. When Jesus tells her in verse 23, your brother will rise again, she makes clear in verse 24 that she understands Jesus to be talking about the resurrection at the last day. There were plenty of Jews who did not believe in the last great day, that, that great resurrection of the dead. And Jesus contended with them. Martha's making it clear she's not among that camp. She believes in the resurrection of the dead. But she doesn't truly know what he's capable of because she doesn't fully know who he is. Though she would, in just a few verses, confess Jesus as the Christ, she, know, she has no idea that he will bring her brother back to life. And we're going to look at Martha's confession in verse 27 in more detail in a few minutes. But for now we can say that her confession was a true credible profession of faith, confession of faith. She says that she believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. There's no reason to doubt that she's expressing genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ. That being said, her understanding, like all of our understanding, is incomplete. There are limits to what Martha thinks Jesus can do. But as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. His power and ability know no limits. And Jesus will begin to reveal this in the next few verses. Let's go to the final section of our sermon today, Greater Than Expectations. In response to Martha's affirmation in verse 24 that Lazarus will be raised on the last day, Jesus tells her in verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He puts her faith to the test. Now, we need to understand the underlying significance of what Jesus is saying here. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is also revealing to Martha and to us that he is the great I am. Here and in eight other instances in John's gospel, Jesus makes the I am statements. What does that mean? To what is the reference? Well, when Moses encountered the bush that was burning but not consumed at Mount Horeb. After God had called him out, uh, to him out of the bush, God told him in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, in response to Moses' question about what he should tell the Israelites when he went to them, when they asked the name of the one who had sent him, God told Moses there to say, I am who I am. Say to them, I am has sent you. Now the words in the Greek translation of the New Testament are the same words I'm sorry, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, are the same words that Jesus uses with Martha when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, I am Yahweh, the one who is. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. Now, even modern medicine does not have the ability to resuscitate someone who has been dead for four days. And so we ought to be very generous in our forgiveness for Martha for thinking that Jesus is speaking about the general resurrection of those who believe in him. We, in her day, would have thought the same thing at best. And in fact, that's included in what he says in these two verses. He's he's not denying He's not saying that she's wrong in what she's saying. He's just saying she doesn't go far enough there. He's saying she doesn't go far enough. Even though he was being pretty clear in verse 23 about what he he was going to do for Lazarus, it was easy for Martha and for us to take, not to take Jesus literally, but to spiritualize what he said there. That spiritual component is very much there in what Jesus is saying. And it's the spiritual component that's most applicable to us We look forward to the resurrection, that great day when Jesus will return. We don't have the benefit of living in Jesus' earthly ministry, that era. We don't have the benefit of Jesus coming alongside someone, healing him miraculously. But Jesus is making a greater point, him. The resurrection of Lazarus from his physical grave will be a living, breathing argument from the lesser to the greater. Lazarus' resurrection, though true and real, would also come to an end. He would die again. He would be buried again. His body, or what remains of it, is still there in the grave, awaiting the general resurrection from the dead. But what Jesus is going to make clear is that if he can bring this man back to life, who had been dead for four days, how much more can he raise the bodies of believers on the last day? If he can raise Lazarus from the dead, how much more is he able to raise himself from the dead on the third day? All of this is encompassed by what Jesus says about the resurrection and the life. By saying that he is the resurrection, Jesus means that it is by his power that believers will be raised at the last day. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live or yet shall he come to life. By saying that he is the life, Jesus means that believers in him can can enjoy resurrection life before they die, even now. Eternal life becomes the possession of the person the moment that they place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you believe in Jesus Christ, from that moment on, you are living eternally. Eternal life for you has begun already. It's not something that begins for you when Jesus returns on the last day. It begins when you believe in Him. You have already been resurrected. You've already been brought to life. Your cold, dead heart of stone has been replaced with a living, beating heart of flesh. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have already died with Him and have been raised with Him. And this is the guarantee that though you will die a physical death, unless Jesus returns first, your body will be raised from the grave and reunited with your soul. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15-20 that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. His resurrection is the guarantee that everyone who dies in Him will be raised back to life when He returns. And all of that is implied in what Jesus is saying to Martha here. But most immediately, he's pointing out the fact that he will, in just a little while, in just a few moments from now, when he gets to Bethany, he will raise Lazarus from the dead by calling him out of the tomb. Now again, Martha doesn't know all of this, she doesn't understand all of this, but her simple faith is enough at that point. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly it will grow as her understanding grows, but it's enough At the end of Jesus' statement that he is the resurrection and the life, he asks Martha if she believes this. And she responds in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. As we've already indicated, Martha's faith, it wasn't a fully informed faith. It wasn't fully grown at this point, but it is sufficient. It's a childlike faith. She is very very soon going to know even more about this man that she has just confessed as the Messiah, the Son of God. But her faith in Him, though based on incomplete knowledge, is firm. Jesus asked her if she believed that He was the resurrection and the life, and in her reply she says, yes. And she goes even further. She holds in the words of one commentator that the one who is the resurrection and the life must be such by virtue of the fact that He is God's promised Messiah. And so though Martha was the one who worked while Mary sat at Jesus' feet, being instructed by him, clearly she is listening now. Christ's teaching it has a hit home in her heart, and what she understands at this moment will grow exponentially when she sees her brother come back to life. Now the question for you is the same question that Jesus posed to Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you trust that if you believe in Him, you will never die? Do you? Well, if you already believe these things about Jesus, are you content to stay where you are, to remain static? Or are you willing to delve further into what the Bible reveals about Christ Jesus? Because the more that you know about Him, the more that you know about the Lord, the more you understand, the more His glory is revealed to you and the greater your worship of the triune God will be. The more that you know and understand, the more you're able to worship Him, the better you're able to worship Him. And the more that you know and understand, rather than being afraid of death, like so many who do everything imaginable to avoid it, you can trust that you will live forever. Because you know the great I am. The one who is the resurrection and the life. Brothers and sisters, that is good news. That's the hope that we have. The hope that's given to us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for what you teach us. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the great I Am. That He is Yahweh who came in the flesh. We thank You that by Your Spirit we have come to know Him. That by Your Spirit we are enabled and caused to love Him. We're thankful that by Your Spirit we have been given the gift of faith. We're thankful that by Your Spirit we walk with Christ Jesus. Lord, we confess that there is so much that we don't know. We confess that our understanding has great limitations. And so we pray, dear Lord, that you would continue to grow that childlike faith in us that Martha had. We pray, Lord, that no matter how sophisticated we think we've become, that we would remind ourselves that we are, as little children compared to what You, O Lord, know about Yourself and about us. We thank You, Christ Jesus, that You are the resurrection and the life. And we pray that by Your Spirit, You would cause us to walk in resurrection power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.